0: Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. The late Alex Trebek and the late Larry King both won Daytime Emmy Awards over the weekend. Trebek for Outstanding Game Show Host and King for Outstanding Informative Talk Show Host. So we are posthumously paying tribute to both broadcasting legends in today's podcast. I spoke briefly with Trebek during a 2016 taping of Jeopardy at DAR Constitution Hall.
1: I'm here with the one and only Alex Trebek. This football team is your favorite team. Who are the Washington? They've been my favorite team for many, many years. When did you first start watching them? Did you go to RFK? Oh gosh, this goes back to uh, the. Uh, Allen days, the Sonny Jurgensen days, that goes oh. back to Vince Lombardi
0: yeah. days. 45 men together can't lose, Georgia. That's right. All right, this 1941 Best Picture winner that dethroned Citizen Kane is your favorite movie.
1: What is How Green Was My Valley? Why do you love that so much? Oh, because it's a great family story. It has a lot of emotion to it. It's uh, the story of a father's relationship with his son, and that is always dear to me. It's very touching. Yeah this is the biggest reason you like doing the teen tournament because i'm looking at the future of our country future leaders of our country and every time i do the teen tournament i come away with the same feeling we're in good shape and finally this is why you love coming back to washington dc every time because dar constitution hall is a special place and it is right in the heart of our nation's capital and the audiences who come out to enjoy our tapings are loyal fans they're enthusiastic they're intelligent and they're very friendly towards me thank you sir okay
0: meanwhile larry king stopped into wtop in 2015 during his visit to the museum
1: the
2: one and only thank you jason (laughs) good to be here on my old station i started radio in 1958 i broke into miami and for 20 years i was in miami and then in 1978 the mutual network came to me and said, would you like to do a national talk show? And that was unheard of. There was never a network national radio talk show. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'd sure be interested. It would be all night long. And I was loved radio. was fascinated by the idea. of done interviews on local radio all my life. And I was fascinated by the idea. And we started to pick up stations. We started, the only big station we had when we started, we had 22 stations when we started. We had Cleveland and we had Miami. So I, was, I moved up to Washington from Miami, and here I am in Washington and not being heard in Washington, but I was heard <laughs> elsewhere in the country. And then T.O.P. joined us about six months in. So I was heard on WT.O.P. for 18 years with my all-night show, and I wound up with 500, I think, 12 stations when I left. Yes. So T.O.P. was part of my—everybody in Washington heard me on T.O.P.,
0: and now you've come full circle, and you're back again. Back for, here. Now back it's for, on FM. Exactly. T.O.P.
2: is not AM. Any. Well, it's still AM, but it's not T.O.P., right? Or is right.
0: it? Right. Well, we have our sister station at 1500 AM, a federal news radio, and then WTOP is 103.5 FM. So and federal
2: news brings the – federal news, right? Yep. All federal like, uh, news all the, the time. the postman today arrived at <laughs>
0: – The postman always <laughs> rings twice. <Is> that, that, <laughs> no, we run that good. program on there. <laughs> uh, um, now – what brings you back to town? You're being honored at the museum um, Wednesday night.
2: The 18th, right? It's
0: a yeah. nice honor. I've, we did a show from the museum. I remember
2: when Alan Newharth, I worked for him for 20 years at USA Today, and he started the museum. Was all his idea. I thought it was a great idea to have the history of news. News has a great history in this country, and to have a, a museum saluting it was fine and. And now they're going to have some of my artifacts from the old days at uh, CNN, some from my new show at at Now.
0: Do you know what artifacts?
2: I think a piece of the set. They're going to have suspenders and ties and stuff. (laughs) Uh, My microphone, a famous microphone.
0: The famous suspenders Uh, and so
2: tomorrow night is a uh, salute. I guess a salute. It's an evening with Larry King. I think I'll be interviewed by Leon Harris and then take questions from the audience. And then we'll have a, a nice dinner. It's a nice honor. I'm looking forward to it. I've had a lot of, you know, I'm 81 years old. I can't believe I'm 81. I don't feel 81. But, you know, you when you're 81, when they start calling you an icon and a legend, that means you're old. <laughs> <laughs> There's no
0: 28-year-old legend. Unless you're Orson Welles <laughs> at 25 or something. Yeah. I'm um, not kidding. Instant legend. Um Jerry Seinfeld, he credited you with inadvertently creating Twitter. You mentioned your USA Today column.
2: That's where it started. In USA Today, I did a column every Monday. In, in Miami, I do a column every day for the Miami Herald and then the Miami News. But when I came up here and Alan Newharth, who had worked at the Herald, who founded USA Today, he called me up and said, why don't you do a once-a-week column for us every uh, Monday? So I wrote a column every Monday. And once a month, I would do It's My Two Cents which was a takeoff on an old Jimmy Cannon column that was out of New York called Nobody Asked Me But, just a series of one-sentence thoughts. And I do that once a month. And that's what Seinfeld said, started Twitter, because nothing was over 140 or fifty uh, words. And right. uh, had a lot of fun with it. And now I do it every Sunday night on my Twitter account, on at uh, on Larry King, at King's Things.
0: With a hashtag? With a my ha- two cents or something? My
2: two, it's my two cents. And then I just... Throw out, uh, like, uh, if I were doing it right now?
0: Yeah, give us an example.
2: There's nothing like the beginning of spring in Washington. Today, I was asked if I wanted red or white onions, which I had never heard of in my life. <laughs> Banana is a great name fruit.
0: See, I'm just. Hashtag my two cents. My two cents. There you go. You just got a special so it's, example? It's,
2: my, uh, it's, it's just thrown out opinions and. Someone suggested today that with all the years we've been doing this, we ought to compile it into a book. It's wow. the collection of It's My Two Cents.
0: Sounds Like, like a for good example,
2: idea. I'm about to sneeze. <coughs> now, It's My Two Cents, one <laughs> of the best feelings in the world is having to sneeze and then sneezing. <laughs>
0: Hashtag my two cents. You and just you're got doing my hashtag. Okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I just had to help you out a little bit. You know what I mean. You got yes, the live dude, Larry King sneeze. When I guys. hosted
2: my own show, I don't think. Yeah, I've sneezed a few times on the air. I've coughed a few times. I had a cough button. And I'll tell you what's the great thing about radio. Of all the mediums, it is the most intimate, and the most natural. Absolutely. So, I've never seen a person sneeze on television.
0: Hmm. You ever see? Well, but why That's not? That's true.
2: Why not one night? Brian Williams, just back from the war, <laughs> anchoring the news, and in the first item today, uh, let's go to Ferguson, huh. 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 Missouri. We never <laughs> you do never that. see that. Yeah. Go, no, yeah, but That's true. why can't on radio? It's people listening. They sneeze. Other people sneeze. It's normal. Why not sneeze?
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I'm glad you graced us with your sneeze. Um, a couple months back, I interviewed Dick Cavett. And uh, when he was interviewing someone, to him, the key was um, not having too much of a prepared list of questions. Um, it was just to kind of listen and go off of what the person was saying. How I, did you prepare a question? I, I never
2: prepared a question in my life. I've been interviewing people before I got in the radio. When I was nine years old, I'd interview bus drivers. When I went to Dodger games as a kid in New York, I would, uh, my friends wanted autographs. So I wanted to wait for the player to come out ask them questions. So when I started in broadcasting, I never thought about it. I always listened to the answers. My motto was I never learned anything when I was talking. Yeah. So if you think about that, I ask short questions, listen to the answers. You have to follow up if you haven't prepared. Right. So that, that was my form. But I never thought of it as a format. And I always thought about being honest. My first day on the air, I told the audience it was my first day on the air. I'd been given a new name, my name was Zeiger. they changed it to King, I told the audience that. They said I have a new name. I told them I was nervous.
0: No pretenses.
2: No, so then when you do that, just think about the simplicity. By being on, I have to sneeze, I sneeze. I love it. By being honest, you cannot go wrong. You can't make them like you. Right. They're either gonna like you or not like exactly. you. It's a subjective medium. So just be honest. Absolutely. So that I ask my questions. Those are the questions. I don't pre-plan them. I don't know what I'm going to ask. And then I listen to the answer and follow up.
0: And it flows naturally because of that, I'm sure. Correct. Um, did you have, I mean, you've interviewed everyone from all walks of life. Do you have one interview that you remember being the most starstruck by the person you were interviewing?
2: Uh, Sinatra. Only because uh, as a kid, I'd stand at the New York Paramount waiting in line to see him. I think he was the greatest singer of my time. He did not do interviews. Frank, uh, Jackie Gleason was a friend of mine, and Jackie Gleason got him for me. Mm. And uh, we did a three-hour interview with me, owing Gleason a favor. So Gleason <laughs> called the favor to do my show. Nice. And uh, to sit for three hours with Frank Sinatra, I was in. Say no more. <laughs> and then I did his last interview, his last television interview of his life. Okay. I went to his funeral. Uh, but that would be the the only time. Now you're awestruck. The first time was in the White House.
0: Sure.
2: There's an awestruck thing about that. But once it starts, the truth is, once the light goes on, it's your show. Like, yeah. this is your show. Sure. You decide what you're going to ask. So once you know that it's a lot about control, <laughs> if I'm in control, Frank Sinatra isn't in control. The president isn't in control. Yeah. The host is in control. Once you know that,
0: it's an empowering to be thing. be nervous about. Yeah. Right? Well, Nothing. you mentioned presidents in the White House. Um, I think you've interviewed everyone since, is it Gerald Ford?
2: Gerald Ford. And, um, and I interviewed Nixon, too, but oh, okay. after he left after the White House. After
0: the fact. Um, which one was the easiest to get to open up, and which one was almost like pulling teeth to get them to open up?
2: No one was pulling teeth because right. no president.
0: <laughs> That's true. That's how you, you get there. You don't
2: get to be president right. if you have to pull teeth. The best was Clinton. Mm-hmm. Only because of so articulate he was and so knowledgeable he was about the world. And yeah. he knew the vice president of Zimbabwe, you know, and he, knew <laughs> yeah. and he he gave you, he answered the question you asked. But all the presidents have been interesting from Nixon, who was dark, foreboding, but interesting. George, um, Ford was just a regular guy and that came through George H.W. Bush was a great guy, Reagan, down home. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and you, you, another thing you realize is they all put their pants on one leg at a time. <laughs> and so it becomes a question of they're human. And once you start treating them as human, what you try to get into, let, let's take, what I always try to do in an interview is walk in the other person's shoes. What's it like to be president? Right. And that's where my curiosity would go. What's it like, you know, if the phone rings at 2 a.m., that's bad news.
1: Right.
2: It's not good news. Right. It's good news to any, per- it's bad news to any person. Yeah. If you're home at home, if you're home alone, and your phone rings at 3 a.m., mm-hmm. it's probably not good news. Yeah. But if you're president, you know it's bad news. That's <laughs> true. Another thing, you're in a business where only 43 others have had it. You, you run a country, but you don't have a profit and loss, right? Yeah. So you don't wait. There's no how many happy days in four years do you have? <laughs> I mean, really. Probably not that happy? many. No, we made a big profit today. Yeah. We sold more pants today. Yeah. What a day we had at the restaurant. Yeah. You don't have those days. No. So most of your day. the reason you get gray hair is, so when I try to walk in those shoes... You try to be, what is it like to be that? Yeah. What is it like to know you can reach anyone in the world at any time that you want to? Yeah. But the downside of that is you can't control all events, and all events affect you.
0: Usually, Yeah, usually the presidencies are wind up being defined by something that... It wasn't even on their radar when they were running, and it shifts. You know, nine eleven. Get up in the or, morning like, and something Whatever. That's right. Yeah. Um, was there ever an interview along the way? I mean, you mentioned Sinatra as the you know the one that you know starstruck you the most. Was there ever one that you wish you could take back? A question you wish you had asked somebody? Or- well,
2: uh, uh, the one one of the goofs I made was I interviewed uh, I interviewed the head of Apple. I'd interviewed Steve Jobs when Apple started. Mm-hmm. I remember my first question was, "Why did you name it Apple?" Uh, but he was replaced by someone else who became president. can't think of his name. So I interviewed the president of Apple for two hours, taking phone calls. Now, he left. This was on T.O.P. <laughs> and across the country. The first caller said, Larry, uh, you know that he fired Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs hired him, and he fired Steve Jobs. Yeah. I was embarrassed. I didn't know that. Nor did I ask about it. I should have known that. When I first started, I was just a kid. I was 22. I was doing a show at a restaurant in Miami Beach, and a priest came on. And I asked him if he had children.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That was pretty humorous. Of course, now, now that could be. Right, right, right. Is there anyone that you ever, that you wish you could have interviewed that maybe, you know, had yeah. passed away before your career started?
2: Well, those things, are, of course, I never interviewed Humphrey Bogart, I never interviewed Clark Gable. I miss Dean Martin. I knew all the Rat Pack very well, miss Dean Martin. But I never got to interview Fidel Castro. Mm-hmm. I went down to Havana some years ago, and uh, beautiful city, by the way. I'm glad we're opening up relations with them. And... Uh, Came close, met some close advisors, but that didn't come about. Fidel Castro led his country for more years than anybody ever led a country. I would love to have been able to sit down with and question that mm-hmm. this uh, man who came down from the hills. Yeah. You know, what was it like to be in jail in Havana and then run Havana? Yeah.
0: What was that like? That would have been an interview. <laughs> yeah. Um, I want to get to your you know, your new show. You have mm-hmm. several shows. But before we get to that, just what do you remember from your time, um, from your 25 years with CNN? I mean, you know, a lot of 26,
2: people. We did 25. I remember it was revolutionary. It was Ted Turner hired me. I went on. on the. My first day was their fifth anniversary. I remembered that I uh, I didn't know if I wanted to do it. I had my all-night radio show. I was doing cap hockey, color on caps hockey. Mm-hmm. I had to give that up had to give up going to Oriole Baseball.
0: Oh, you're an O's fan?
2: Well, I was, oh, no, in Dodger. I went for Dodgers. Oh, know. that's right, Dodgers. But yeah. I left town before the Nationals came. I would have been a National event.
0: I'm an O's fan. I'm D- an O's fan. That's why I bring it I up. I go to Dodger <laughs> games.
2: I'm going to see the O's play Sunday. They're playing in Sarasota. Oh, nice. And I'm going to take my son. He's down to baseball camp in high school in Florida. So the first night I was on, Governor Mario Cuomo was the guest. I'm not sure I wanted to do it. So my agent, Bob Wolf, the late Bob Wolf, worked a deal with Ted Turner. Three-year contract. But at the end of one year, he had to keep me. But if I was unhappy, I could leave. Pretty good deal. Yeah. But I knew the first night, the first 15 minutes with Mario Cuomo in a little studio in Georgetown on CNN, which wasn't seen in Washington yet, (laughs) I knew that show would click. Yeah. And I don't know why and i said i remember saying on the first break mario this is going to work
0: just a gut feeling you had
2: yeah and it worked
0: yeah clearly clearly <laughs> tell us what you're up to now with your new shows
2: oh i'm uh, we're doing wonderful things uh, uh after i left cnn for a short period of time i was out of work and then carlos slim of mexico who's worth 77 billion dollars he was a great guy and a friend that's it <laughs> and he called, He called me and said, "You can't retire. What do you? Let's do something together." Right. And my wife came up with the idea of Larry King Now, a cable, uh, an internet network that I own twenty percent and Carlos owns eighty percent. And then we came up with the show Larry King Now. And uh, Aura TV. The aura means now mm-hmm. in Spanish, and it also it, it's it's also my wife's middle name. Ah. So we came up with Larry King Now and uh, hired a big staff. studio's in Glendale, California. We have, and then RT licenses our show, and they carry it. So we do two politicking shows a week and three Larry King Now. So I'm doing five shows a week. And then I'm doing a uh, podcast with my wife, go back and forth with Sean and Larry King, doing a baseball show for the Dodgers, Time Warner, cable network.
0: You still follow the Orioles at all from afar? Oh, yeah.
2: When I, my wish is a Dodger Oriole World Series. Why is that? Because I love both teams. <laughs> go seven games, and the seventh game in Baltimore is snowed out, <laughs> and there is such a tremendous snowstorm <laughs> that lasts for days and days and days, and Commissioner Manford declares a tie World Series.
0: No, there you go.
2: We will never play the seventh game, and the Orioles and Dodgers will be declared. Co-champions. For the first time ever. Ever. The co-champions at Camden Yards. They couldn't play it out because of the snow. In fact, had you had that this year, you would not have played it out.
0: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) exactly. You mentioned, uh, was it, you said you had a son down in Florida at a baseball game? I have
2: have three grown children. Okay. And uh, I married a girl much younger than me, and we have two sons. Mm -hmm. One just turned 16, and one will be 15 in May. They're both outstanding baseball players. The 16-year-old, Chance King, who's going on 30, uh, <laughs> he is adventuresome and uh, he loves baseball since the first day I took him to a Dodger game when he was three years old. And he learned a lot of baseball from the Dodgers, got to know all the players. Went to, We went to Vero Beach, go to Arizona every year. Mm-hmm. He was born March 9th, so spring training is his birthday. And he developed a love for baseball. Started with the uh, T-ball and Little League and all the rest. And then he went to Notre Dame High School in the Valley in California. And he was best pitcher on the freshman team. And then after his first half of his sophomore year at Notre Dame, he'd gone to IMG, that famous sports camp in mm-hmm. Florida, every year to summer camp for two weeks. And he loved it there. And he wanted to go to school there. Now he was 15 and a half years old. And my wife said, you're not going to school there (laughs) And he said he really wants to go, and he loves the game, and he promised I'll be good now. And she broke down and let him go. And he's now at IMG, so that means he goes to school every day from 8 to 12, plays baseball from 1 to 5, (laughs) plays doubleheaders. I'm going down there this weekend, plays a doubleheader on Saturday. He's in Bradenton, Florida, and he's never coming back. (laughs) <laughs> He'll come back for the summer, but even in the summer coming back, he's going to go to a baseball camp in Los Angeles. He's in. So he's a Derek Jeter. Derek Jeter went to IMG. Okay. So he lives and breathes the sport of baseball. I spoke to his coach yesterday, and the coach thinks he has all the ability to be a professional ball player, pitcher or third base. Cannon, his younger brother's on Beverly Hills High School. He's a hell of a ball player, too. He's got more power than his brother. He's a, the, And I don't know where they got this from, but, oh, my wife has <laughs> athletes on her side. Her brother's played football. You never played? Oh, it was the world I'm Jewish. <laughs> we owned the stadium. We watched. No, I was a fan. I, I was a crazy Dodger fan. I was at Jackie Robinson's first game.
0: You I were at Jackie Robinson's first game?
2: April 15, 1947.
0: Wow. What do you remember uh, from that? Uh,
2: I remember him walking onto the field. I interviewed him twice later. Yeah. I remember him walking on the field with that. The Dodgers have the whitest uniform in sport. There's nothing whiter. I don't know what does All it, right. so Blue, whatever they do. Yeah, so the There's nothing yeah. whiter. And the contrast of Jackie was a very dark black individual when he came on the field. And we knew we were part of history. We were up in the bleachers, 50 cents. We knew we were part of history. And later when I got to interview him, I mean, Jackie Robinson is just, yeah. I, when I interviewed Martin Luther King, I introduced him by saying the founder of the civil rights movement, he said, let me correct you, the founder of the civil rights movement is Jackie Robinson.
0: That's wild.
2: So the Dodgers were implanted in me, and I always give them credit for that.
0: Do you, that what do you start... recall from the fans that day? Was they, it oh, they were all for him. Hot.
2: He never had a problem in Brooklyn. That was never hot. It was more on the road. We want all, all on the road. We want that a win. Yeah. We hey. a we wanted to win. If this guy could hit, he was Rookie of the Year. Yeah, yeah. My God, what a ball player he was! Unbelievable. And he led us. to we want? We had a seven-game series with the Yankees. He was Rookie of the Year. He was unbelievable. Two years later, he was MVP. He was a. He was the leader of the team, and we loved him.
0: Uh, you mentioned. Um Martin Luther King saying Jackie Robinson started the civil rights movement. Um, What are your thoughts on, uh, you know, we had a big anniversary for Selma this year, too. Did you follow the walking across the Edmonton Bridge? I
2: thought that was wonderful. I disliked the movie only because they painted the total wrong picture of Lyndon Johnson. I've read many books on Lyndon Johnson, interviewed Robert Caro, and reading one now by Joe Califano. Lyndon Johnson was totally for the civil rights movement totally for the voting rights bill and they had him like a antagonist
0: you think it was just done for you know uh, they you need a, a dramatic uh, yeah, but antagonist they, but, yeah. but if,
2: if, I, if i'm living and i lived through it and interviewed all the people that were involved i didn't know johnson but all the people yeah all the people in that room that they have in the movie where johnson is saying he's not going to vote all yeah. were there yeah. and all said that never happened wow so that bothered me about it but I was very much into civil rights. When I went down to Miami, I got off the train, and there was a colored water fountain I drank out of the colored water fountain. I got on the bus to go over to Miami Beach to stay with my uncle, and I sat in the back of the bus, and the bus driver stopped and said, you have to move forward. The back is for Negroes, and I said, my father's Negro.
0: Oh, wow. And
2: I stayed in the back of the bus. So I've always been, I've, I never understood prejudice. So we didn't understand. We yeah. kids in Brooklyn, why would I know Negroes sure. in baseball? Well, why not? Sure. Well, well, Seems never, so basic. Yeah. I've never heard a good reason for prejudice. I've never heard, other than stupidity. Yeah. I've never heard a good reason to prejudge.
0: It's taught. You're not born that way. You don't of course, think. You don't think that way. You got
2: to be carefully taught. South Pacific. Yeah. Yeah. Got to be taught to hate. To hate all the people your relatives hate. You got to be right, carefully yeah. taught. But to me, like I used to laugh, my white people buy copper tone. Why? <laughs> yeah. My daughter, Kaya, she's now in her forties. When she was a kid, we sent her to a preschool, and at the preschool was the daughter of a black famous black comic, Geraldine.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Who was that? Who was that oh I forget his name. I shouldn't forget his name. But anyway, he was a famous black comic. Okay. Uh, my, you get to be old, you forget names. Flip Wilson. Thank you very much, my assistant Dave. There my it da- is. Why did I say that dynamite CBS? drop in? Flip Wilson, the toughest thing about aging is, as Carl Reiner says, you know what I have? I have short-term memory loss. I have short-term memory loss.
0: <laughs> That's pretty good right That's there. Problem you is just said is twice. I have short- <laughs> He gets it. He's so quick. That was good. That was good. Uh, well, Carl Reiner's a genius. He, he Perhaps, and Mel, Mel Brooks and stuff, he's man. He's an
2: absolute freaking genius.
0: Absolutely. Absolute genius.
2: So they went to the beach one day, and my daughter comes home, runs into the bedroom crying. We walk in, and she says, I want to be black. I want to be black. We went to the beach today. Nipsey Russell. Geraldine could swim, and they wouldn't let me because she was blonde and fair. I had to stay under the umbrella. I want to be black.
0: Talk about being in the room with Martin Luther King Jr. Oh, Not many people can, you know, can say they've done that.
2: Well, it was a great interview, but I had a little more than that. My... Uh, Attorney was a guy named Toby Simon. He's with the American Civil Liberties Union. Martin Luther King uh, was going to tried to go to a motel in Tallahassee, Florida. His lawyer was William Consular, who's a great lawyer, but was not licensed to practice in Florida. So William Consular called Toby Simon, my lawyer, and said, "Listen, Martin Luther King is going up to Tallahassee today. He's got reservations at this motel. They're not going to let him in." but he's gonna stand in front and protest. He needs a lawyer there because they're probably gonna arrest him, I can't. Would you, Toby, go up and... Mm -hmm. So Toby said to me, would you like to go? So I went up and Martin Luther King walks into this motel, it's about maybe 30 rooms, and he says, I have a reservation. And the clerk says, we see your reservation, but we don't take Negroes. He went out to the front of the motel and he sat on the steps of the motel blocking the entrance. Mm. So police cars come and they know they're gonna arrest them. Crowds are gathering. I'm standing there, Martin Luther King is sitting on the steps, Toby Simon, the lawyer, is on the other side and the owner of the motel walks out. He wasn't mean or anything, He's just the owner comes out and he looks right. at Martin Luther King, looks down at him and says, Dr. King, what do you want? What do you want? And King looked up you see the white of his eyes and said, my dignity.
0: Wow, that's a moment.
2: And I froze.
0: I bet goosebumps on that one.
2: You, you're not kidding. <laughs> Living history.
0: Absolutely. Well, and that's you know that's that's why they're honoring you tonight at the museum. Do you have any uh, before we go? Any idea how they're going to honor you? I mean, artifacts, of uh, course. I, but-
2: I guess they're going to be a tape goes up. Uh, I guess they're going to Leon Harris of Channel Seven here used to work at CNN. Yeah. He's going to interview me. We'll take questions from the audience. And then they're going to start. I guess they're going to have a little Larry King space there. A piece of my set and suspenders and stuff. And I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a nice honor. I've had so many honors and you know, lifetime achievement from the Emmys, uh, Radio and Hall of Fame. and I, I Cable Hall of Fame. I pinch myself. I'll tell you the truth. It's really true. I pinch myself every day. I'm just a little Jewish kid from Brooklyn who wanted to be on the radio. That's all I ever wanted to do was be on the radio. I had no idea there'd be a CNN, or television, or print, or books, or movies. all of that was just, all of this is, sometimes I look at myself and wonder, you know, that kid's got promise. I wonder what he's gonna be. Yeah. I can't fathom all of it. And to hear, to come to WTOP, top of the dial. Used to be the top of the dial. Right. Now it's just 103.5
0: Still FM. Still number one in D.C. though, baby. Is it? Still number one? <laughs> oh, yeah. Actually, most profitable in the country for the last four or five years, believe it or not.
2: T.O.P. Radio? Yeah. So they're yeah. still stealing. Our sales huh?
0: departments. Yeah. <laughs> number
2: one station in the country that's on revenue? Yeah, yeah. You do better than New York and L.A. stations. Yeah. Wow. So they're paying you a fortune. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> uh, that's Larry, manage- tell them that. That's management. I used to say management never sleeps. <laughs> 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 they can't. They're golfing.
0: <laughs> oh, that's a pretty good one. So you could go on a stand-up tour, too.
2: Oh, I did a, I did that, too, two years ago. I do a lot You've of You've done comedy. everything. The only thing I've never done is a Broadway play. Is
0: that I something would, you'd like I, to
2: do? Yeah, I'd like to do it, but I, just for a couple months. A musical or... Uh, either one, just a Broadway play, Neil Simon play, probably.
0: Do you have a favorite?
2: I have so many plays. I love theater.
0: If you uh, if you only had one more, if you knew it was your last day on earth and you could go to one play, what would it be?
2: Guys and dolls. Yeah, I love There's that. There's your music. Sinatra again. But if you'd like, what my obituary to say, mm-hmm. here's what my obituary should read. Are You ready? To Get us, ready. Here it is. Take David the notes. always with me. First line of the obituary: Oldest man who ever lived <laughs> passed away today. Larry King, he was 137, he was shot to death by a jealous husband, found with a 32-year-old former playboy, (laughs) woman of the year, he died instantly, and it took six days to wipe the smile off his face.
0: (laughs) Are you coming up with all this right now? Right now, that's the way I'm going
2: out, baby. (laughs)
0: Well, thanks for taking the time to join us and offering the sneezes and the hashtag two senses. (laughs) You got it. (laughs) All right, thanks. That's Larry King on WTOP. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time.